Hello, I'm Gareth and welcome back to Somewhere on Earth. And with us to podcast like we mean it is the excellent Angelica Mari. And if you've not met Angelica before, let me proudly introduce you. Angelica is a technology journalist. Uh, she's based in Brazil, working mainly out of Sao Paulo, and going to be keeping me company today. And uh, Angelica, you're going to be off on your travels, aren't you? You've got quite an interesting diary coming up over the next 24 hours or so. That's right. Yeah, I'm heading up to Recife, which is in the northeast of the country for an event that is really is spending is shaping up to be a very exciting event. Is a carnival of knowledge. So it's called Reckon. Oh, I like to say Rio has its carnival of just being fabulous carnival tastic. So this is a festival of knowledge. So it sounds a bit nerdy. Lots of interesting people. Lots of geeks. Lots of ideas. Um, but. There isn't doubt. There is a downside to this expedition of yours, isn't there? That is weighing on your mind. That's right. Yeah, fear of flying, Gareth. Um, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm not really comfortable about flying, to say the least. But didn't stop me from going anywhere, mind you. Yeah. So, what is it then about flight? Is it just the weird sensations in the plane? You know, the landing gear clunking down, turbulence, that kind of thing, or just the idea that you're in a machine that could fall out of the sky if it all went wrong? Can it be like a combination of all of the above? <laughs> oh no, everything. Um, yeah, everything. Oh gosh, look. I mean. Yeah, and I know I'm not going to solve your flying phobia right now in a short podcast intro, but I find just knowing what's going on, I watch a lot of the aviation YouTubers, you know, pilots who explain every single aspect of what they do and how they just check and double check everything, you know, and I find that incredibly reassuring as somebody who goes on planes. That doesn't seem to be enough for you because you've tried all this stuff, but you're thinking maybe tech solutions could be an option, the next desperate place you're going to go to try and <laughs> get around this. It's a good tip, Gareth, but uh, yeah, I should watch more uh, videos on YouTube, but, you know, when I'm up there, just uh, uh, irrationality overrides any sort of uh, oh, information dear. I might have, but Anyway, what I've been considering is a virtual reality exposure treatments. Um, I've been reading about it, and uh, am I looking? Uh, am I looking to it? Let's see. Right. So exposure therapy, where you put the VR goggles on, and it simulates actually being in the seat, looking out of the window. You have, maybe you have some sensation of being in the plane, all the sounds, that kind of thing. And you think just ease your way in that yeah, way. Yeah, and uh, where people explain, like you were saying, people explain exactly what's going on and why that might be happening. So I think, yeah, I need additional uh, rational information to, uh, to keep me reassured. And uh, yeah, perhaps technology will help me. So if any of the listeners have any ideas, I'm open to trying anything, really. All right. But okay, so listeners, bring those ideas in, if you will. I'll give you the contact details as we get into the podcast. My quick idea, Angelica, is actually put the VR on while you're in the plane and just have a VR experience of just being in the mountains or just somewhere you really enjoy in your happy space and you'll forget you're on a plane. There you go. I've solved it. I'm worth every penny. All right, lots coming up in this edition. So here goes. (music) 
Who's betting on making money out of podcasts these days? Well, quite a few people, obviously, as the market continues to expand. But uh, more to the point, who would invest in this one? You're about to find out. Also, $10 billion. What a load of rubbish, literally, because that's the value in all the world's e-waste, electronic waste, every single year. A sixth of all that waste is classified as invisible, though. Stay tuned to hear how there's literally billions of dollars worth of electronic waste hiding in plain sight. This is the Somewhere on Earth podcast. This week, a pretty interesting interview I think you're going to find because you might be downloading this podcast or subscribing and perhaps wondering, I wonder who's backing all this? Well, you're about to find out because we have Nana Bafur, who is Chairman, CEO and Chief Cultural Officer of Kintes. Now, that's uh, one of Brazil's top 10 tech companies. And that's Kintes. It begins with a Q if you want to look it up. And um, yeah, so you're our backer. There are others, but uh, we're very pleased that you're here and getting behind this podcast, Nana. And I'm going to start with a blunt question, which is, why are you backing this? You know, you're a sound businessman. You know a thing or two about investing. You know very well how crowded the podcast market is, especially when it comes to tech podcasts. We certainly don't need another. So why are you putting all this time and energy and backing into this, into somewhere on earth? Thanks a lot, Gareth. And um, I'm pleased to be here talking a little bit about why I feel so strongly about what you and the team at Somewhere on Earth are doing. And the fact is that uh, I think the world needs to know more about the power of technology in the lives of um, the historically marginalized, uh, the underrepresented, and broadly speaking, the global south. Most of the information we hear about technology is very much focused on, you know, big cities, Silicon Valley, entrepreneurs, venture capitalists that are talking about huge amounts of money and unicorns and so forth and so on. And the reality is that where technology can really add value is in the hundreds of millions of people in the global south that are may not necessarily look into high tech, but they are looking for technology that is making their lives better, the agricultural yields better, for them to be able to take their kids to school, etc., etc., as well as the opportunity that technology affords for for the, the surging number of youth in the global south, places like Africa, South America, Asia, to be able to participate in the global technology market offering their talent and their creativities, especially now in a remote um, remote working world. And so from my perspective, for 20 years, this is what I've been doing, uh, which is building tech companies around the world. Uh, in the last 10, 12, I've been doing that in Brazil. But before then, uh, I'd been building tech companies in the U.S. and Europe. And as an African-American, I'm Ghanaian-American, I think that I occupy a unique place in the technology ecosystem globally. And so it's important to me that I participate in this type of effort, which really highlights how critical it is for us to use technology as a catalyst for value creation, especially for the historically underrepresented. So this is why Somewhere on Earth is important. 
Okay, yeah, because I, I, yeah, I was interested that you were framing that answer through the prism of your own experiences and background. So your company, or one of your companies, Quintess, is Sao Paulo-based. It's in uh, Brazil. Um, you yourself are from Ghana, as you just said there. So can you just tell us something about you and, if, if you like, some of your businesses? In other words, the lens through which you see this issue, through which you see technology and its impact on people's lives around the world. I started out in the technology industry uh, about 20 plus years ago through the data center. And at that time, data centers uh, were really sort of new. And so I ended up being one of the sort of the early operators and investors in the data center industry 20 plus years ago. And I think part of the reason why a black professional like me could get a foothold is because it was relatively new. And that became the platform on which I had been able to build a, a, an entrepreneurial career of 20 years with all his accompanying ups and downs, as most entrepreneurs know. And so for me, to see the technology industry become as big and as value-creating as it has become, yet to see how few black and brown people have been participatory in it through these years has been, in one end, a sense of gratitude because I feel the privilege that I have, but in another end, a sense of significant disappointment because I feel like there should have been more, there could be more, there should be more. And so this is the lens to which I come to uh, to this project somewhere on earth but then why podcasting because you know I, I get a lot of the the, the points that you're making there about um, equity about access to opportunities for people around the world black people around the world and I do understand that but you know podcasting seems to be a notoriously big business you know unless you're talking about big names big celebs you know not some kind of earnest lovely technology podcast that wants to make the world a better place as as, as we are Aren't there other vehicles that you can achieve these big societal aims you have that align with your business aims? Look, I think that um, storytelling will continue to be the best way to communicate, even in this age of, you know, sort of short form, one, two minute sort of quick video reaction on, on social media and so forth, there is no substitute for a good story. And so what we are trying to do here at Somewhere on Earth is to bring stories about technology's impact on people's lives, and I mean day-to-day lives, with a particular focus on the global south. And those stories, we make them news and so that people can care about it. And so I think that there is no better form than the podcast to do that. And this is why I'm a big believer in the work that, um, Gareth, you, you and the team are doing on Somewhere on Earth. Also, let's talk about podcasting as a technology. I know that was a business answer, and that's the one I wanted. But just, okay, it's this amazing platform that, you know, people can listen to conversations like this in their earbuds as they're going for a jog or driving the car or what have you. Uh, it's, to me, it's just as a technology that delivers information, I think it's fascinating. Can you develop that for me? What do you see in podcasting as a technology? Look, I think that, you know, if you strip it down to its most basic form, it is probably one of the most democratizing technologies out there, right? We all think about cell phones and so forth as democratizing. But I think of podcasting as today's equivalent of the transistor radio. And I remember in 1989, I was a 17-year-old young volunteer teacher in a very, very remote area in in Ghana where I was doing what at the time we called national service. And, you know, this little village I was in as a a school teacher had no electricity, no running water, et cetera, et cetera. But I did have a little radio. 
And I remember some of my highlights was when I was listening to the BBC World Service on that radio. And, and I felt so close and I, I remember so vividly when the Gulf War was, was, was being broadcast and that sort of proximity to events, even thousands of miles away. I think that's what the podcast does today, right? Nobody's using the radio anymore, but the podcast is today's equivalent. And so it brings us so close to events, even when we are so far away. And that is why I think it's a powerful technology for democratizing information, knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. So just finally then, uh, you know, of course, you're a busy guy. So I'd, I'd love to ask you about Afrofuturism, for instance, which was a fascinating topic that uh, we spoke about when I had my last job uh, at the BBC. Uh, but we don't have time for that now. But people may have heard that or they may not have done. And they're kind of Googling you and looking at, you know, your career or whatever that they might be doing. And, and they'll see, like, just about everybody else in business that you've had your fair share of headwinds. 2023 has been an especially challenging year. What is your approach, I suppose, you know, when, you know, especially when you look at the business scape, at the podcasting scape, and you just see mountain after mountain? It's a huge challenge, isn't it? Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a Haitian proverb that I, I love and I, I use it quite a bit, which goes loosely translated from the Creole, is that beyond mountains, there will be mountains. And this, in a sense, is, in my perspective, what sums up an entrepreneur career. I have had the good fortune of um, of being an entrepreneur for 20 years. I've built 12 businesses over these 20 years. I've had some successes and I've had some spectacular failures. 2023 has been an especially challenging year. But I think every time I say that to people, people tell me forever. Everybody, right? So if you think about, you know, inflation, the war and all this other stuff, the retrenchment in the, in the, in the tech sector, all of that stuff, we have had our particular impacts on it, the financial services, et cetera, et cetera. So it's been a challenging year, but this is also another mountain, right? And so when you look at the podcast environment, it is a mountain. And I do believe that good work will always uh, speak for itself. And more than anything else, I think the focus should be always about how can we do the most good for the most people with the least amount of resources that we have? And this is what I think someone on earth is seeking to do, and which is why I'm proud to be participatory in it, recognizing that um, there is going to be mountains, but we would get over those mountains and then we'll move on to the next mountains. So that's, uh, that's sort of my philosophy in general. And 20 years of entrepreneurship, I think most people would tell you, is that this is just, um, unfortunately or fortunately, this is how it works. But there's a privilege to be a creator to be part of building something that can have impact on on thousands of people and so i feel privileged to be able to support gareth you and, and the whole someone earth team there you go. That's Nana Bafour, who is backing this podcast. Uh, so, Angelica Mari, you know Nana Bafour, right before we all got together on this podcast. Don't you? you know him from before then. Um, journalistically, through what you do over there in Brazil. So, how have you come into contact with Nana? Yes, uh, uh, I've been following him and uh, his uh, business endeavours since 2019. And we've done various interviews over the years. And it has always been really interesting to me. Um, to hear Nana's view of the world and business. I mean, you can talk to him about pretty much anything from poetry to fashion to digital transformation. We have an expression uh, in Brazil, Gareth, that some people rent a penthouse in your head and chatting to Nana does that to you, I think. And... um, 
He's uh, the only black <laughs> CEO of a major tech company in Brazil, and uh, that speaks for itself. And most importantly, I think he has this first-hand experience uh, of a diverse person in the uh, in the tech uh, ecosystem, and he has this ability to articulate the issues of diversity and inclusion. They are so crucial at this point in time to spaces where these uh, debates need to be had. And I think that's precisely this holistic view of the world that kind of enables him to uh, make decisions like investing in media. And in addition to his business expertise, of course, I remember talking to him uh, back in the day when he was considering options around that. And he had a really clear view of the sector, the trends, and the spaces in tech journalism where value can be uh, created, you know. And as you heard there in the interview, I pushed him quite hard on why he's getting into podcasting and you know where he sees a business case in an already crowded market. And I pushed him quite hard on that because I'm just genuinely interested to know. But there's one thing that really stood out to me where he said that, well, you know, think about it. Podcasting is a bit like for people, say, of his generation. I'm a similar age to Nana as well. So he and I both remember our first transistor radio and how transformative that was. And he said, you think about podcasting going into people's earbuds and the earbuds of younger people these days it's like we were with our transistor radio and i thought that was lovely i'm going to steal that angelica <laughs> yeah it's a good analogy and um, i'm 100 percent with you and uh, with nana when he says that uh, good content will always find an audience and i'm biased because i'm a part of this project but i think the bar for it is extremely high and uh, I think that our story, uh, our mission really illustrates where the market is headed. Uh, I think it's true. There's uh, lots of people and platforms covering uh, uh, tech in general. And, um, and there are really great podcasts out there. But again, I really believe that finding a niche and doing it well really uh, has a space. And in our case, we often say uh, the unloved stories. But these are the tech stories that are very Mm. important for an audience that wants to have a context about what else is going on in the world of tech beyond Silicon Valley. And, and talking about podcasting more generally, because you know, obviously I don't want this to be us talking about ourselves, but I just genuinely think it's an interesting tech story anyway, talking about um, tech podcasts. But that idea of the kid maybe listening, possibly under the duvet with a little ear plug in, listening to the transistor radio and that mapping onto today's media landscape with people downloading podcasts. I guess the great big massive difference might even be on the supply side of the equation, the people making the podcasts, as in you know, compared to the people making the radio programs that were feeding all those transistor radios many, many years ago, um, that lot had no idea, you know, the program makers, of who was listening and how they were listening. Sure, people were filling in surveys and audience surveys. That was about as high resolution as it got. But now, through the world of analytics, things are very different, aren't they, for podcast producers? Yeah, I, I think uh, it's, um, yeah, to your point, I think that the, the podosphere, as it were, has a, an inherent diversity to it and uh, this uh, range of interests means there's always room for unique niche content and 
And you can use tech to your advantage. Uh, for example, using analytics to get insights into the audience. Then you can refine content, identify subjects, find new angles to stories. And I think the beauty of podcasting is also in the flexibility of the format. You can exper experiment and adapt. And also it means that you stay responsive to what the audience wants. All right, Angelica, thank you. Yeah, and don't forget, stay in touch with us. We want your comments, questions, confessions, um, the more funny and or controversial, the better, um, about your phobias as well. That'd be interesting, especially if you have any tech solutions for coping with flying phobias or indeed anything else. So our email address is hello at somewhereonearth.co. That's hello at somewhereonearth.co. And on WhatsApp, we are international code 44. 7486-329-484. Yay, you're listening to a podcast, listening to a guy giving a load of numbers out, but I'm going to do it again. Here we go on WhatsApp. It's code 44-7486-329-484. There you go. That's done. All right. Now then, it's a mountain full of treasure. This is the mountain of Electronic waste, I'm afraid, e-waste that many of us are helping to build as we burn our way through all those mobile handsets and other such gadgetry. And when I say that this big pile of waste, of course, it's not an actual pile, but you know what I mean. We're speaking figuratively here. When I say it's full of treasure, the sum total of all this e-waste is $10 billion annually. Um, and in fact, here's another stat for you. Discarded vapes alone annually weigh as much as six Eiffel Towers. These are the latest stats from the WE Forum, where WE stands for Waste from Electrical and Electronic Equipment. Well, we're joined now by Magdalena Halitinovich of the Forum. Uh, welcome along to the podcast, Magdalena. Um, so let's just visualise this mountain. And uh, it's I'm visualising it's got a load of vapes in it, mobile phones. What else constitutes all this e-waste? Hi, hello, Garrett. It's really nice to speak uh, to you again. Uh, so indeed, for this sixth edition of the International E-Waste Day, we have tried to measure uh, what we called invisible e-waste. Um, and actually, as you say, the results are uh, really uh, staggering. So um, this mountain is really composed of a variety of things such as um, vapes, as you said, but also small IT equipment, beauty products, um, tools like power tools, um, actually, and toys, surprisingly, for, for us was the biggest category. It's, uh, it's almost one third of this uh, invisible e-waste category um, that is represented by toys. Um, and the number for toys is 7.3 billion e-toys produced annually at global level, which means almost one toy per every person on the planet. Um, so I think that gives uh, an idea as well. But it's it's plenty of things that we called invisible e-waste. It's actually everything that consumers don't recognize as having electrical uh, components in it and that people just don't uh, recycle as e-waste because they don't know it is part of, of the electronic waste stream. And we see that these electronics are almost everywhere in the clothes, in the shoes, like, you know, we all have seen these uh, Christmas sweaters with blinking, uh, singing stuff and um, hats with integrated fans, all, all things like that, that actually do contain electronic uh, components in them and should be yeah. properly recycled. 
because we file them away in our kind of mental directories, as it were, as being clothing or tools or toys. We don't think of them as gadgets, whereas something like a mobile phone, in fact, maybe just something that you plug in, especially something you plug into mains electricity, you tend to think, oh, that's definitely electronic. But other things, it's not so clear. So we all need to be more cognizant of that. It's a kind of common sense thing, really, isn't it? You know, like if a jumper has lots of glittering LEDs on it, the chances are, it might have some electronics and we bear that in mind when we're disposing of it. Stay with us. We'll be right back. AI is changing the game of business. Will you be on the winning team? I'm Jordan Wilson, the host of the Everyday AI podcast and your coach to help you learn the X's and O's of AI. Artificial intelligence isn't just a new player in the game, it's a new sport altogether. So if you don't quickly put AI into play, your competitors will run up the score. I've spent my whole life building winning teams, from coaching basketball to working with big players like Nike and Jordan Brand. My next move, helping you win with Everyday AI. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or on everydayaipodcast.com. Let's tap into AI together and put points on the board. Yes, exactly. And that's why we actually selected a slogan for this year's uh, International E-Waste Day, a very simple message. So you can recycle anything with a plug, cable or battery, really to make, as you say, you know, having the simple um, way of thinking that if something contains a plug or a battery, it should be recycled with electronics. Mm. Yeah. Now, Angelica, to what extent is this a cultural issue? And, and maybe how does that vary across different cultures? So this is a, a problem around technology caused by people. And uh, it's uh, interesting to discuss the underlying cultural issues. You have the um, view from developed countries like the US and European uh nations, you have a very fast growing technological innovation space. And at the same time, you have a very sophisticated consumer culture. And uh, that consumerism led to a a surge in the production and mass disposal of uh, electronic devices. But this culture of consumerism, combined with lack of awareness about the impact of these uh, devices on the um, environment and the uh, associated with this inadequate way of disposing of items and inadequate uh, recycling infrastructure um, ends up worsening the uh, the e-waste crisis in developed countries. Then you have the view from the global south. There's um, a UN report on e-waste in Latin America that came out last year, and it says that e-waste uh, production has increased by 49% uh, in the region compared to 2019. And that is due to a lot of reasons. Uh, and that would include um, urbanization, industrialization. But many countries in this part of the world uh, seem to be the uh, unfortunate recipients of e-waste. So uh, we're talking about items past their usable life being exported to by, by wealthy nations to these countries due to lack of regulation. So the end result is um, local communities uh, that instead of benefiting from this uh, electronics would typically uh, engage in informal recycling uh, and therefore they get exposed to toxic elements like lead, mercury, and so on. And it is really a dichotomy, uh, Gareth. Uh, While 
rich countries benefit from tech advancement, developing nations bear the brunt of their waste. Yeah, because so much of the waste ends up there. All right, now I want to bring in a third voice to this discussion. Uh, this is Alexandra Mansur, who's project director of an organisation called O Mundo Que Queremos, and that means the world we want in Portuguese. Uh, he's based in Brazil. And um, the organisation is a communications agency that's uh, focusing on socio-environmental causes. And uh, Alexandra, one way that you come into this discussion is through another form of e-waste, which are these little terminals, isn't it? And you go to a street vendor with your card and you tap on one of those portable card readers. Of course, a load of that is going to end up in some e-waste mountain somewhere, isn't it? So tell me more about that. People usually are not aware of how many of those machines we use. We tend to, to, to consider mobile phones, for instance, as a pervasive object. But those paying machines are everywhere and they are disposed not always properly. And they pose a huge contribution to waste around the world. We did a report uh, to show the impact of all plastic and electronic waste on the financial sector in Brazil. And we did that to show that we have an opportunity to get rid of those materials. We have technology today that could replace all those plastics and electronic machines to digital options that could have much less impact on the environment. Uh, well, and I'm, I'm so glad that you brought us on to that part of the discussion, because so far we've heard a lot about the problems here. And on Somewhere on Earth, we're always interested in the some of the solutions to these problems. And that's what you're leading us into there. So you're saying, OK, part of the problem are these little portable terminals. They are all over the place. They're contributing to the e-waste problem. But then there are other ways that transactions can happen without us needing to have a point of sale with all the e-waste that goes with it. So how? Yes, in Brazil, we are using something like 400 million bank cards and 95 million paying machines. And if you line all the credit cards that we have in Brazil, it could do a, a lap around the earth on the equator. And we don't need this. We don't need any of this because uh, there are technology to substitute those items for instance yeah and and yeah and briefly yeah and let's we don't have much time but just briefly then alexandra you say there's technology to help us here is this mo- mobile payments then is that part of it because we have our mobile phones already <laughs> so yes. you know, the, the device already exists we're using it for other things so is it we can just make that single device do more before then it becomes e-waste itself there are some technologies like tap to pay that could be used for customers to pay uh, by holding his or her uh, phone close to the phone of the vendor or the seller and that's it there's no need to use any plastic card there's no need to use any appliance and it's not only more environmental friendly but it's cheaper cheaper for everyone even for the seller usually small businessmen can start a business without having to buy or rent a new machine. They can use 
their own phone. Yeah, and, and a technology that can really benefit people in the global south. I think that's another big point of this as well, isn't it? This isn't just, you know, your kind of rich person in the middle of Manhattan. Yes, and we are already seeing this. There's a big company in Brazil called Cloudwalk, which is responsible for one of the largest payment systems here called Infinite Pay. And they are starting this. They are replacing the, the machines and they, are, they never use plastic cards. They are replacing it and switching to electronic alternatives like an app. So their consumer, their, their customers won't have any appliance, uh, only the mobile phone. Okay, but I mean, just just before we leave this, quick disclaimer though, which I'm going to bring Angelica in. You just want to make a quick point, don't you, Angelica, about the technology here? Yeah, it's really interesting that um, tap-to-pay technology is uh, becoming more widespread um, and you can effectively turn your device into a payment terminal. But it's important to note that not all phones have NFC tech, so... You, you're talking about a large number of people who have pretty basic phones and um, very um, precarious connections to the internet. So we still have some way to go until that becomes really um, prevalent in terms of uh, right. using a phone as a, as a mechanism to pay. Yeah. I don't, I've got quite a, a new... Well, in fact, it's quite... Here's the thing. My iPhone, I was going to say it's quite new. It's actually about three or four years old. I think it's an iPhone 11. I don't really care which one it is. I never really get into it. But the point being, I just got it secondhand. But the NFC doesn't work, so I can't do contactless on that. But that's yeah, just me. Um, let's just you, take a final few... You couldn't sell, <laughs> you your, you couldn't point sell your sofa uh, using a tap-to-pay technology, Gareth. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm a late adopter in so many ways. Um, but anyway, I fully heard Alexandra's point, which is very well made, that there are definitely ways that we can use fewer of these point-of-sale devices and save a lot of e-waste along the way. Let's just go to uh, Magdalena for a, a final few thoughts here then um, from the uh, WE Forum. And uh, in terms of your... Where you see this then, Magdalena, what about the future? How are we going to just chip away at, well, and maybe eradicate if we can, this uh, e-waste mountain? If there was such an easy solution, I would be really, uh, really happy to give you the answer. <laughs> Wouldn't we uh, But I think it's, it's a composed answer, really, because um, there are several things to take into consideration. The, all the issues about which Angelica uh, was speaking Actually, all this could be regulated by some UN treaty. Um, I think at least at the legislation level, uh, this is something we are advocating for uh, because the problem is not only one or two countries. It's a global issue. It's the fastest growing waste stream in the world. So it does need like a global solution, something that could regulate the, the, the trade, the illegal trade of e-waste that Angelica mentioned. Um, I think that could be part of the solution. Another thing would be would be awareness raising, really, and this is what we are trying to do um, with activities like the International E-Waste Day. So, really, make consumers aware um, about 
first how to recognize e-waste and then where to dispose of it and what to do with it. Because as you are all saying, the technology is really changing very fast. Um, and we see new items uh, coming and, and then being not used anymore at all. Um, so just having us, like all of us as consumers, having the good answer in our heads, like how to recognize electronics and how to properly dispose of them and making it kind of a social norm, uh, because I think that also what counts, there are um, some countries in Europe which really lead on e-waste recycling, such as Switzerland or some um, Scandinavian countries. And there is a whole culture of recycling there. Um, someone even said that you have more people on a Sunday morning in a recycling center than in church. So it just, I think, shows how much people care about it and they see their neighbors recycling. Uh, e-waste and other things and it's just normal we, we just often very often look at other people and see what they do so installing this kind of social norms um, in our behaviors in our societies would be also part of uh, of the solution which brings us back to the cultural aspect i guess so there we'll leave it magdalena thank you so much also uh, you alexandra and uh, it's always lovely of course speaking to you angelica maori just a quick name check to the people on the other side of the glass the grown-ups over there. The sound editor today is Dylan Burton. Your audio engineer is Keziah Wenham-Kenyon and the editor is Anya Litterovich. Thanks for everybody here at Lanson's Team Farner. That was Somewhere on Earth for this edition. Download us next time, won't you? And stay in touch. Bye-bye. <laughs>